Good morning, everyone. Glad that you're with us. And those of you watching online, props to you. Hey, by the way, we have some seats for you here online. Those of you are watching, it's way better in person, so come on down. So glad that you're with us today. We're going to be in Psalm 73 this morning. Psalm 73, so get your devices up and load it up on your devices, Psalm 73, because we're going to go from verse to verse, all 28 verses on Psalm 73 this morning. You know, it is said that the average person spends about 80 years on this earth, give or take. Now, we spend about 26 of those years sleeping. And in fact, we spend about seven of those years even just trying to get to sleep. Therefore, that leaves us with about 47 waking years of life. And in the context of those years, on any given day, apparently we, th- we can think as many as 50,000 thoughts a day. Don't ask me how they measure that, but so be it. And then on average, we make about 200 choices every given day, many of which you don't even realize you're making because it becomes habit or habitual. So, so what's the point? Well, we, we really are what we think. We're so influenced by, by the people around us and by our surroundings. We really are what we think. The book of Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so shall he be. We really are what we think influences, as I said, by the, our surroundings. And then you know what happens if we're not careful? We begin to focus on the things around us, and that focus can distort our vision. We can get off track as it relates to our relationship with the Lord. You know, because invariably what happens over time, you start to compare if you've ever done that, that illustration on the video kind of shows us that. We can start comparing, you know, my, my life with, to your life and what I have compared to what you have and, you know, my job compared to your job and on and on it goes. And, and, and more often than not, when I do compare, what I have doesn't measure up compared to what you have. And then that often leads, what, to in bitterness and envy. you got to be careful with envy, right? Because envy, although it's all about unmet expectations, envy can lead us down a very dark path. It can become, we can become very bitter or embittered. The, the Webster's Dictionary defines envy this way, as a chagrin or a discontent at the excellence of good fortune of someone else. You know, that uncomfortable feeling you have when when, when you see somebody else benefiting and, you, you know, it just kind of strikes you right, right, right in the core and it's not, it's not a very good feeling. The Bible warns us, God's Word warns us, numerous occasions about envy. Listen to this, Proverbs 14, verse 30 says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Wow. God just gets right to the heart of the matter there, doesn't he, in his word? You know, in other words, if you're not careful, envy and being envious and could create this sense of bitterness, and, and you can bring a whole lot of pain upon yourself. It can hurt. And then in, and in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17, it says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. So, so God takes it pretty seriously, and he warns us, not, not to let envy kind of just capture your hearts. Those comparisons, those unmet expectations. So as I said, we're going to be in, in Psalm 73 this morning. I love the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, a collection of poetry and 
praises to God and, and, and there's, there's authentic emotions in the context of the Psalms. I read them every day, at least one of them every day. I love the Psalms. And uh, theologian Walter Brueggemann, in his book called The Spirituality of the Psalms, he says that the Psalms can be classified under one of three categories. Not all of them, but most of them can be classified under one of three categories. There are the, the Psalms of orientation. It's all good. Things are going good. Then there are the Psalms of disorientation. Somehow things just kind of went off the rails. You know, things are not going so good, and there's a whole lot of pain as a result. And then there are the Psalms of new orientation. You know what that new orientation is? Refocusing back on God. It's back to the future, as it were. And then there's a fourth category that I would add are the song, the imprecatory psalms, psalms of imprecation. And what are those? Those are the psalms where it's an expression of my anger and, my, and bitterness, as we see the psalmists often uh, include that in the psalms. And, and you know, you get so, so riled up, you get so angered that you just, you just call on a curse down from heaven. Lord, just, just strike them down. And sometimes the language can be pretty graphic when you read through the psalms. That's imprecation. And imprecation, an example of that is Psalm 139. David, he expresses imprecation. And at the end of Psalm 139, he says this, Search my heart, O God, and, and, and test my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So basically, David is saying, after he expresses his frustration and his anger, he says, I don't want to think that way. I don't want to be that way. So giving us an illustration sometimes, it's good, it's good to lament. It's good to express your frustrations before God. He can take it. So before you just crank it back up, as it were, and, and the fall is not far away, take time to, to, to lament, take time to grieve. We've all suffered some loss of some sort these last number of months. So why do I tell you that? Why do I describe these four different categories? Because we're going to see elements of all four of those things, orientation, disorientation, new orientation, and even imprecation or anger. We're going to see elements of all four of those in this psalm, in Psalm 73. Okay, so who, writes, who wrote this psalm? Well, somebody named Asaph. Who's this guy, Asaph? He was one of the Levites assigned by King David to be the worship leader in the tabernacle. He was a contemporary of King David. And he was the worship leader in the tabernacle, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 37 tells us this. David left Asaph and his brothers in the tent, in the tabernacle, before the ark of the Lord to minister regularly before the ark as each day required. And, and, and here, just, just a footnote about worship. Worship is not just the songs that we sing here on a Sunday, as beautiful as they are, and as Rachel led us and the team. Worship is every moment of every second of every day. Worship is a redeemed heart, fully occupied with God, and the things I do now are as a result. Or, not so much. Some days are better than others. Yeah, I get it. And Asaph, his duties as the one who was entrusted as the, the worship leader are described in detail. 1 Chronicles 16, you can read that. And, and both Asaph and David were skilled musicians, they were skilled uh, poets and singers. In fact, Asaph is mentioned as a seer, S-E-E-R, a seer or a prophet. In fact, Psalm 50 
And Psalms 73 to 83 are known as the Psalms of Asaph. So God highly esteems this man for eternity. This man Asaph. Asaph is a gifted man. Very gifted man. And he understood where his gift came from. And he used his music, his gift to praise the Lord and communicate God's word to a needy world. Both then and now and forever. And yet... He struggled. He struggled with comparison. He struggled with envy. So let me pray, and we're going to dive right in verse by verse in Psalm 73. Father, good to be here in the house of the Lord with your people. Lord, singing praises to you, opening your word, your beautiful word, this just being under the authority of your word, that we would see ourselves in this now, Lord. We would fasten our seatbelts and dive right in, and Lord, that you would use this to renew our hearts, to refocus our, our vision on God. Lord, as we've come through the, the, the dark night of the soul, as it were, through the hardships and through the wilderness these last number of months, Lord, you are using that to prepare us for what is yet ahead with expectation, Lord, and with our hearts rendered right. So open our hearts and our minds to hear from you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Psalm 73, verse 1. Look at this, verse 1. Now, by the way, we have to understand verse 1. Verse 1 is a declaration because the rest of the psalm won't make a whole lot of sense if we don't understand what he's saying right here, right off the hop in verse 1. He says, truly, absolutely, most assuredly, you know what? You can take this to the bank, man. You can take this to the bank. Truly, God, Yahweh in heaven is good. What he says. Good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. You know, we can, we can kind of just gloss over that word good, the English translation of the word good. You know, I do it oftentimes. You come across it numerous times, I'm sure. And, and, and as you're reading it, perhaps the first thought that comes to your mind about good is, well, it just means it's not bad. You know, and then you kind of carry on. Well, that's true. But the Hebrew word for the word good is tov, T. O-V, far more deep in its meaning, far more nuanced than just, it's not bad. Tov has, has a far more uh, a nuance to it. You, you remember back in uh, Genesis chapter 1? Genesis chapter 1, where, where, where God uh, gives us the creation order in the seven days, the seven 24-hour days of creation. Remember we read that and God created the, the heavens above and, it, and He says, and it was, it was good. It was told. And God created the earth below and the animals and the, and, and the birds in the air and, and the fish in the sea, and it was good. It was told. And, 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 and God's crowning glory is He created man in the image of God to be image bearers of God, and it was very good. In fact, Psalm, Psalm, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says this, and in the seventh day, God saw all that He made, everything, and it was very good. Tov, it was very good. So, everything God created is good, is tov. And when everything is spoken and accomplished, when all the intricate harmonies are formed, here's the point, God's glory, His goodness echoes throughout all creation. That's very good. That's what Asaph is telling us here. He's making this declaration. And nothing can take away from that. 
Right? This is true. And he's, but he says this. He says, God, Yahweh is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Just? Well, no, not just. That's true whether you believe it or not. But he's referring specifically to Israel, to God's people, to those who God set apart. Those who God entrusted with the oracles of God, the very word of God. Those, as Abraham was the forefather, he said, you would be the forefather, you would be the descendant of, of many. Many nations will be blessed through you. This group, Asaph, part of that contingency, the congregation. He says, those who are pure in heart, meaning their desire. He's talking about their desires. These group of people that God sets apart, their desire is to reflect to reflect the goodness of God. And you know, and here's the important thing about, about this desire and identity. Your desire is linked to your identity. If it's the other way around, you're in big trouble. If your identity is linked to your desire, you got some trouble, as we're about to see. Tov. Good. Okay, so let's keep going. Got to establish that so that the rest of this psalm makes sense or better sense or more sense verse 2 he said but as for me truly god is good as for me not so much my feet had almost stumbled my steps had nearly slipped slipped sliding away he's talking about stumbling slipping into sin how come what's up asaph why why you feel that well i'm glad you asked look at verse 3 he said i was envious I was arrogant, envious of the arrogant, sorry. I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's focusing on his surroundings. He's focusing on them and, he, and his sight. Well, the things he sees, he focuses on them and it's creating, it's causing his vision to be distorted. It's causing his vision to be distorted. I was, I was envious, he says, of the, I was coveting. The arrogant, the, the, the prosperity of the wicked. Look, look verse 4, he says, uh, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Meaning, have you ever had those deep hunger pangs? You know, those deep hunger pangs. Maybe you're outside working outside or whatever, or you're at work and, and it just comes upon you. And man, you're just famished. And there, there's nothing that matters at that moment. Get out of my way. Get out of my way. I got to get to the fridge. Right? I just got to satisfy that hunger. He, he says that. He says that of, of the arrogant, of those, those people over here, those over there. Apparently that, according to him, that they don't experience that. Well, that's not accurate. That's not necessarily accurate. He says they're fat and sleek. They have more than enough. Verse 5, he says, they're not in trouble, as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. A little bit of woe is me happening here. That's not necessarily accurate either, Asaph. He says, you know, trouble, stricken. You know, to be stricken is to have something come upon you suddenly. You didn't see it coming. Boom! Just out of nowhere. To be stricken is to have something come upon you. It's no fault of your own. Right? And he's talking about this trouble. Like, no fault of my own. He said, that's happening to me, to us, to those who are near God, but to those who are far away, you know, it's like a walk in the park. It's easy street over here compared to this. Right? They're not in trouble. They're not stricken. Verse 6. He says, therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. You know what he's talking about here in one word? Three letters. It's called ego. He's talking about their ego. These prideful, arrogant people. He says they, they walk around displaying their ego. Their pride. You know, they, they, they display it like you would a piece of jewelry. 
You, you, you get a necklace or a piece of jewelry, it's not so much for your purpose that you wear that, it's so that others would see it and admire it. He says these people with these enormous eagles, they walk around like that and they, they, they want you to see that and they want you to admire it. Oh yeah, and he says this, violence covers them as a garment. You better not get in the way of these people because you know what might happen? You might get hurt. Right? That's what he's saying. And Verse 7, he says, Their eyes swell up with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. What a beautiful word picture here. He said that these people, these, with an enormous ego, they see the way they view life is through the, the lens, the, the bigness of their, of, their, of their arrogance. They're foolish, he says. You, you remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says? God's Word says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us, of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Focus. Refocus. Refocus back on God. It's back to the future, man. It's back to the basics. But it's good to lament. It's good to express your frustrations, as we see here. Verse 8. They... You notice, you notice the they? He keeps saying they, they, they. He's, he's looking, he's focused. They, them over there. They. They. These people, arrogant, big egos, they scoff. They speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. You know, they just mock. They mock God and others. And, and he says here, he says, with malice. Malice of forethought. You ever heard that expression? Meaning, it's not accidental. They have every, every intention to do that. It's, there's, no, there's nothing accidental about that. He said, and, and they threaten oppression. By the way, they threaten, you get in my way. You might get hurt. Maybe you know people like that. Right? Verse 9, they set their mouths against the heavens above and their tongue struts through the earth. These know-it-alls. Not only do they establish themselves as the authority, the know-it-alls here on earth, but apparently even, even a higher authority than God who is in heaven above. Or so it seems. It's not always accurate, but that's what Asaph is saying here. Because his focus is on them. His focus is on them. And what's happening? It's causing his vision to be distorted. You take it all in, right? That's, that's all we've been doing the last 18, 16 months. I don't know, what is it? 20 months? I don't know what it's been. You're just bombarded with all that stuff and everything gets filtered through all that stuff and negative, negative, negative. Set it aside. Set it aside. Refocus back on God. Easier said than done. I get it. But look at what Asaph says. Verse 10, he says, Therefore, as a result of this, what he said up to this point, his people turn back to them, them, and find no fault in them. So there's just two, two groups of people that he's referring to in this verse. His people and them. Right? So his people, remember what he says in, chapter, in verse 1? God, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose desire is to reflect the goodness of God. He says that some of them, near to God, have decided that they're going to go over here. They're going to hitch their wagon over here. It's too hard. And they find no fault in them, apparently. Look what he says in verse 11. And they say, quotation mark, notice the quotation mark. He says, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? End quote. Meaning, it's likely that Asaph heard these very things spoken to him when he tried to go over there and say, what are you doing over here? Come on, come on back here. What? Come on, snap out of it. 
It's likely that he would have heard these very things said to him to justify why it's too hard over here. I'm going to go over here. It's a walk in the park over here. Right? Basically, you know, how could God know? Asaph, don't worry about it, man. God doesn't even care. Come on, God doesn't even care. You know, eat, drink, and be merry, man. Just, 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 just get your piece of the ash. Get your piece of the pie now while you have a chance. Don't worry about it. You ever had that discussion? Maybe you thought those thoughts. Maybe you've, you've, you've had conversations with people who, who have said those very things to you. Asaph goes on to say, look at this, verse 12. Behold, he says, check this out, man. Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches. That's not entirely accurate, Asaph. He said, but look at this, man. They, they, they seem to be getting wealthier and wealthier. They seem to be buying the latest gadget and the latest version of this and the newest car. And none of those things are bad, but they just seem to have it all. I don't know how they can do this. They put it all together. I, I just don't get this. Well, you know what happens often? They do that at your expense or at the expense of others. He says that here. They increase at riches. Just never ends, apparently. It's, it's too hard over here. I try, I work hard, I, 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 keep, my hands to, you know, I, I keep my hands to the plow, and I, I don't look back as Jesus tells us, and I'm, I'm trying. And then I look over here, man, it's just not adding up. It's just not fair. Look at 13. Look what he says in 13. He says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Clean hands and a pure heart, good thing. He's saying, I, I did that, man. I was, you know, I, I, I was doing that, and you know what? It was a waste of time. He says, he, he's expressing, you see how he's expressing his frustrations, his, 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 his challenges, even his bitterness here. He says, it felt like it was a waste of time. That's not true. A vanity of vanities. A chasing after the wind. You know who said that? Solomon said that, David's son, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon said that. Vanity of vanity, chasing after the winds. Well, no, no, that's not true. You could feel, feel a little sorry for yourself. He says here again, 14, all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked now. Look, look, he's, he's elevating this, this lament. He says all the day stricken. Remember stricken? Just something comes upon you suddenly. has no fault to your own. He says not only that, he says I'm rebuked. God rebukes me or so it seems. Every day. Asaph, man, Asaph, that's not true. You know what Jeremiah says in Lamentations? Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 24, God's, your mercies are new every morning. Asaph, come on, snap out of it, man. Come on, Asaph, snap out of it. God's mercies are new every morning. See what can happen? You focus on them, distorts your, your vision. You're distracted by that. And you know better, you know better, and you're doing this, but you keep, you keep, there's something that's very compelling about this, and there's something that just draws you in if you're not careful. Your mercies are new every morning, God's Word tells us. And then look at verse 15. He said, if I had said, if he says, you know, if I would have talked this way, if I would speak thus, if I would have let this be known to the general population, to everybody around me, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. 
Remember the definition of leadership is influence through relationships towards God's purposes or maybe not. And what he's saying here as a leader, as a leader that people looked up to, if he said this, if he expressed these frustrations, and maybe other people heard who weren't necessarily meant to hear this, he might influence them to, to, to kind of just like cash in their chips over here, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to hitch my wagon over here. So you've got to be careful. Have a trusted friend, a man or woman in your life, one or two perhaps, that you can lament to, that you can express your concerns, but just be careful that you're not influencing people in the wrong way. Those who, he's talking about children, youth, and those who are new or young in the faith. Okay, then 16, he says, but, but, but when I thought, oh, I love this. I love this. Word. He says, when I thought how to understand this, when I was trying to figure all this out, he said it was a wearisome task. You know what he's saying? He spent a lot of time trying to give some thought to this. He was trying to figure all this out, you know, and it was, it was, causing, him, it was causing him headaches, man. It was causing him migraines, and, and he, you know, his joy got zapped right out of him, right? You know, the joy, the, the, his wind, the wind in the sails, gone. He became fatigued, and he was tired. Man, he just weared him down. But then, here we go, verse 17. Boom, 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 here it is. Verse 17, everything changes now. Verse 17, have you ever gotten one of those emergency alert tones on your cell phone? You ever get one of those things, you know, the amber alert, or emergency alert, like it's complete quiet, and all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. Man, it gets your attention, right? Like for that second, and it just goes on, and you, oh, what's that? And then you look at your emergency, now he doesn't have a cell phone, but what I'm saying is he's having his emergency alert at this moment. In verse 17. Look, look at this man here because everything changes on this he says until until there's a change now I went into the sanctuary of God then I discerned their end I'm tired I'm weary I can't figure this out so he draws the conclusion I know what I got to do I got to just set aside all these distractions I'm going to go into the sanctuary of God remember he was the leader in the sanctuary he led the people in worship where the very presence of God is I'm going to set all these distractions aside and I'm going right there. Just you and me, God. And, and I love this. It's very bold in speech because you know what he's saying? I have nowhere else to go. I have nowhere else to go. And you are so faithful, God. You are so long-suffering. He goes into the sanctuary, God. He says, and I discerned their end. Those who cast their lot over here. He's talking about their destiny. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, those possessions, those worldly things that they had that he wanted, maybe he was comparing, maybe he was coveting, not so important anymore. Not so important anymore. Look at what he says now. Okay, verse 18. Verse 18 comes from him being in the sanctuary of the Lord. Verse 18 is his prayer. Verse 18 is he's writing, expressing his heart as he's in the sanctuary of God. And he's having this time with God. Look what he says. He's, he, he, you can almost get a sense of his embitterness and his anger almost. He says this. He says, I went into the sanctuary. And then truly, he says, you set them in slippery places, them. You make them fall to ruin. You can picture him sitting in the sanctuary, God, God, come on, yeah. they deserve God, they got what's coming to them, come on, God. Not a good place to be. Verse 19, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. 
driving along, you know, driving along, and they, and they just fall into the ditch of their own delusions. These who were once near God and have gone far away, he were there, and now they've gone over here. He's expressing his, his bitterness, his anger. Right? Verse 20, he says to them, he says about them, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them like phantoms. But he's also talking about himself. You know, you know in that, when you first wake up in the morning, that minute or two where you're kind of suspended reality, you know, like you're half asleep and half awake and you just seem like foggy. He says, you know, he's talking about, like, like God is now, you notice uh, his, his, he's focusing on them. Now, now his focus is starting to turn on himself. You notice the language? He's uh, starting to turn on himself now. He's talking about himself. And in so doing, right, he's lamenting and God is going to be, his clarity is about to, the cloud is starting to dissipate. He said, but of them, he said, you know, God, you just consider them like a phantom, like a mist, you know, like gone. Here today, gone tomorrow. That's not a good place to be. That's not a good thought to have. He says, look, 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 he knows that. He recognizes that. Because look what he says in 21. He says, when my soul was embittered. I was bitter. I was resentful. Not good. When I was pricked in heart, he's convicted of that. I was, look what he says in, in, in 22. He, say, he says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was acting stupid is what he was saying. He says, I was like a beast towards you. He's describing himself in how he was thinking that way. As, Man, it was almost like it was like animal-like. Right? And, 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 you know, animals, right? They're, they're, their intent, their only intent is to fulfill their instinct. Right? That's all they're going to do. They're just, they're, just, they're just going to fulfill that instinct. He said, man, that's, man, what was I thinking? Like, I was thinking that way about them. And God, I'm in the same. God, just hear my heart on this. I don't want to think this way. Look at 23. Look at verse 23. Look how things begin to change. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. In spite of this. No, because of this. I am continually with you. Those who are near God. I'm still here, man. Lord, Lord as, much as, I, as much as I saw that happening, as much as I even gave some thought to that, and, you know, kind, kind of just leave this and go there. No, man, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. What a beautiful picture. It's like a picture of a father holding the, his child's hand. Come on, come on. Get up. What are you doing over there? Come with me. Come on over here. What a beautiful picture. Picture of grace. 24, he says, You, Yahweh God, good God, Tov God, you guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. His destiny is secure. His destiny is secure in, in, in Yahweh God. But he says, You guide me in your counsel, in your word, the word of God. And by the way, folks, this Word, the Bible, the Word of God, is not a self-help book. This is the living, active, supernatural Word of God. And every time you open the Word of God and you read God's Word, God speaks to you through His Word. It's beautiful. Man. It's, it's, it's Spend time. Carve out time with you and God and spend time with God. Speak. God speaks to you through His Word. 
Now look at how everything has changed now. 25 to 28. Focus was initially on them. Distorted his vision. His focus turns as he goes into the sanctuary of God. He turns his focus on himself. And he says, man, what was I thinking, God? I was thinking like a brute. And now look at this. His focus is on God. He's refocused on God. He's reinforcing his focus back where it always belongs. Back on God. Look what he says. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. See how his desire is starting to be transformed? He's, he's talking about his desire is changing. He, said, he, he looks to heaven. I have nowhere else to go with this. I'm, he's come full circle from, from verse 1, truly God is good, to here we are in verse 25. He said, God, there, I have nowhere. I have no one to go to but you. You are so good to me. And then look at 26. He says, my flesh, my heart may fail. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Physically, physically, it's starting to fail. His physical strength may be zapped away, but his spiritual strength is getting stronger and stronger as he focuses on God. The joy of the Lord is my strength, as Nehemiah tells us. And that's true. You might get, over the years, over the days, your physical strength might zap, right? And remember this, every 24 hours, we pitch our tent that much closer to the finish line. Every 24 hours, we pitch our tent that much closer to eternity, and eternity waits for no one. My flesh, my heart, my flesh. But he says this, God is the strength of my heart, and my portion forever. A portion is a part of something bigger. He says his part of something bigger is not of the world. His part of something bigger is of God and the kingdom of God. 27, he says, for behold. So his, his desire is changing. His hope. He's speaking about his hope. And then in 27, he's going to talk about his motivation. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Talking about his motivation now. Right? And here's, and here's the challenge for us. As he spoke about the arrogance of those who were prospering and they were arrogant as it were, that we can't become a little smug, maybe a little arrogant, not so much about our possessions, or, but, but rather by the one who possesses us. Right? And we can get a little complacent. We can become smug about that. No, 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 man. The book of Romans says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And Jude tells us to snatch them out of the fire. Look what Jude says. Jude's book, Jude, verses 22-23, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What are you going to do about it? Well, too bad. They got what's coming to them. Uh, they got no part of that. No, no, no. Let your motivation. Hey, come on, man. I just come on. Let me help you. Let me help you. His desire, his hope, his motivation. And look at this. Last verse. He says, "But as for me, as for me, it's good." Tove. We're right back to it. It's good. It's tove. It's perfectly ordered. It's harmony. It's a masterpiece to be near God, not far. 
I have made the Lord God my refuge, my place of security. My identity is secure in God that I may tell of your works. Isn't that incredible? I may tell of your works. Isaiah, in Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. He says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Amen. As we wrap up this morning, as we conclude, you know what we'll do? Let's let King David, let's let King David have the last word today as it relates to the goodness of God, as it relates to our focus and getting refocused back on God. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. Closing a word of prayer. Father, thank You. You are so long-suffering. You're so beautiful. You are a good, good Father. And we are loved by You. Help us, Father God, on the times that we can forget that or neglect that or be, be um, taken by surprise even by some of the things that are happening around us in our own lives, in our own hearts, Lord. We, we don't want that. We want to be focused on You, God, in the days ahead. It's good to lament. It's good to speak our hearts to You. But Lord, just encourage us in the days ahead as we've come through this season. The dark night of the soul, the wilderness, whatever metaphor you want to use, Lord, as we've come through this, it's, it's true, it's evident in your word that you use that. You use those experiences to, to encourage us because, because greater things than these are coming. Lord, I believe that in my heart of hearts. So protect us, guide us, Lord. Father God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.